0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Acts verse chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and then we are going to be in verse 42 all the way to the end of the chapter, so read along with, and I will pray and we will get to it. <clears throat> Acts 13, verse 1 now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. Through verse 4, all the way through verse 41, we see their first two stops, one in Cyprus and one in Pisidia. Paul preaches the gospel in Pisidia, and in verse 42, you see their response. Check it out with me. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to, consider, to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But since you have thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying... I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them. And went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this testimony that we see of your gospel uh, at work. uh, As it spreads and as it uh, pierces the heart of men and women and changes people and families and cities and regions. And God, our prayer is that you would uh, bring revival and bring change and transformation to, to us, to our families, to our church to our side of the city, to the whole city, to our county, God. We believe that the gospel is still capable of doing that. And so we're praying, God, that you would allow us the incredible privilege of speaking it, of living it, of uh, making it clear to those in desperate need of it for your glory and, God, for our joy. Would you do those things uh, in us and through us and for us and uh, give us the opportunity to praise you. God, thanks for your word. Have it do its thing this morning changing us and encouraging us and we'll thank you for it in the name of Jesus amen. amen all right go ahead and have a seat so in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 we have the strategy the mission strategy of the church in the early day Jesus gives it to him right before he ascends to heaven he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you will empower you and you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem which is where they were in Judea which was a little bit further out in Samaria And then into the uttermost. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 13, the church is in the uttermost. They are uh, being sent out of Antioch. They are going into regions that have historically been pagan and against Jesus. And they're preaching the gospel. And they're seeing incredible, incredible results uh, that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish. And only the Holy Spirit can do. In the book of Acts, there are two churches that are really highlighted. The first is in Jerusalem. God saves the disciples and when he ascends the disciples become the apostles and on the day of Pentecost they go from about 120 people to probably a little over 3,000 people overnight and what we know about that church is that any church that grows that significantly begins to kind of focus on itself. Begins to try to figure out how do we disciple these people? How do we love on these people? And what happens over a period of time is that they kind of in our language, and this is kind of my interpretation They begin to get a little inward focus And what I mean by that is they just start worrying about other Christians and they worry about, you know The carpet color and the music's too loud and why did we, you know, all those kinds of things that church folks still do And so because God had told them to take the gospel out, what happens? persecution comes the church is spread forcefully and as the church spreads the church grows you see people who are losing everything and yet when they get to wherever they're going they preach the gospel churches get planted disciples get made and the church is spread out of Jerusalem in Antioch we see something that's a little bit different the church isn't spread the church sends and what we see is that this is a church that's deeply committed to making disciples, and to planting churches. And toward that end, we see that they send out two individuals, a guy by the name of Barnabas and a guy by the name of Paul, to plant churches, to make disciples, to evangelize. Now, obviously, uh, we want to be the kind of church that spreads out. But the recommendable way to do that is to be a sending church. To be the kind of church that people feel like God puts a call in their life and they say, you know what? I want to plant a church on the north side of Madison. I want to plant a church in Fitchburg. I want to plant a church, wait for it, on the west side. Uh Could happen. I'm just saying. I mean, God would have to do something crazy, all right? I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I want to plant a church in, uh, in Janesville. I want to plant a church in, I don't know any, any other places. All right, I'm out. That's it, okay? I want to plant a church other places, and, and we want to be the kind of church that more than one time you see people brought up front, the elders pray over, and us say, this person is going to proclaim the gospel in Milwaukee, in Beloit, in Rockford, in Chicago, in Minneapolis, in India, in the Philippines. We want that legacy here at the church, and what we see is that this is the first the first sending church. Three things that I want you to see about this church. First off, they were diverse. They were diverse. If you read Acts 13, 1 through 3, you see that their leadership are people from all different places. Now, we talk a fair amount about being a diverse church here in Madison. And I'm, I'm coming from Cincinnati, which is a little bigger, a little bigger. And a little more diverse and so that's something that's a value for me and we've talked about it quite a bit but let me let me tell you why I think that this is important Uh, first off our neighborhood is being diversified and the less diverse we look the less like our neighborhood will look the other reason is that I believe it takes different kinds of people to reach different kinds of people in other words there's a certain group of people that I'm gonna best relate to And in my ability to relate to them, I'm going to have the best opportunity to point them to Jesus. That group of people might not be the same between myself and Christ, which means that if this church is going to be a spreading and ascending church, not only do I need to be here, but Chris needs to be here. And Chris needs to be reaching who he can reach, and I need to be reaching who I can reach, and Olivia needs to be reaching who Olivia can reach, and we all need to be reaching out to the relationships and to the communities that God has given to us, and the more diverse we are, the more people groups we'll be able to reach. I think that this leadership group says, look, I'm, I'm from this area, and I want to see a church planted in my hometown, I don't want to just stay in Antioch I want to send people to tell my friends and my family about Jesus and so they develop a strategy and they fast and they pray and they get before God and Paul and Barnabas are part of the answer to that and so diversity isn't politically correct all right diversity is mission happens by different people reaching different people and we need to get more and more different not more and more anglo okay secondly we see that they had a routine, they had a routine when it came to seeking to hear from God. It says that they were worshiping, that they were praying and that they were fasting and while they were doing this, the Holy Spirit spoke. While they were doing it. In other words, they did what they were regularly known to be doing and in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit intersected that. I don't think this is the first time that they were fasting and praying. I think that while wow means this is what we do. And while we're doing what we do, trying to hear from God, trying to put ourselves in a position to hear from God, God spoke, and when we heard him, we acted in obedience. A diverse church that puts itself regularly in a position to hear from God. Puts itself regularly in a position to hear from God so that they can act upon where God is leading and join what God is doing. And then thirdly, I think that they believed that the work of mission wasn't the work of the pastor or the church, but that it was the work of who? You. Listen, you are in a way better opportunity to be on mission than I am. Do you know why? Who do I spend most of my time with church folks and I love you I love you I do I just want to spend some time with folks who don't know Jesus you on the other hand the rhythms of your life are to spend time with people who don't know Jesus which means that you have way more opportunity to introduce people to Jesus than I do because I'm hanging out with all you and I love you alright but if our strategy is well the church does mission Well, the pastor does mission. Well, the elder does mission. Well, the deacons do mission. Then what's going to happen? Not mission. Not mission. And I'll tell you this as well, that until we get to the place where you who come on Sunday and are an integral part of this community say, I am a missionary, it's going to be very difficult for us to send people out to plant churches. Because if you send people out to plant churches, do you know what that takes? It takes people and money. And nobody's going to be for sin. We're going to take 40 people and send them to the north side, which means we're going to cut this whole side, or maybe this whole side. We'll see how it goes. You guys work on your attitude, and then we'll... All right, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, all right? Yeah. We're going to, we're going to send a bunch of people to reach people. We're going to spend a bunch of money to, 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 to reach people. And if y'all aren't already committed to that, you're going to go, well, why are we going to do that? And so a church that's growing in diversity, a church that's positioning itself to hear from God, and a church that believes that every Christian is a missionary, that every Christian is a missionary and that you go into the mission field every single day, you live in the mission field every single day, you have the opportunity to be on mission every single day. And out of that, out of that, churches get planted and disciples get made. Now, what's interesting about this is that whenever Paul and Barnabas get sent out, they go out and they do what has been happening all the way through the book of Acts, which is that they preach the gospel. Now, when I read through Acts chapter 13, verses uh, 4 all the way to verse 41, I felt like I was reading something that I had read before. If you read through the account, what Paul does is he takes the history of the Jewish people and he shows them how God has been at work throughout their history, uh, leading them to the place where he introduced Jesus to them. Now, if you read earlier in the book of Acts, you see that that's exactly what Stephen did. It's exactly what Stephen did, and you see that that's what Peter did. And so what you begin to see as you read and think and pray over it is that the same message gets preached over and over and over in the book of Acts. The exact same message. And then you go a little bit further, and you read through the Gospels, and you read through the New Testament, and you begin to go, all these cats are saying the exact same thing. The exact same thing. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you what I believe is literally the three-point story that gets taught all the way through the New Testament regarding the gospel. Now, for those of you who this is new to you man this is the perfect day for you to be here for those of you that this is not to, man this is the perfect day for you to be here all right because for some of us we're gonna have the opportunity to remember when the gospel came into our lives and God saved us and for some of us we're gonna have the opportunity for today to be the day that the gospel comes into our lives And save us so I want you to notice that the gospel answers three questions all the way through the New Testament if you're taking notes you can jot this down it'll be on the screen behind me first it answers why should I believe the gospel important question right why should I believe all this gospel mumbo-jumbo why should I care about Jesus why should I listen to you versus that or read this versus this why why the gospel what's the big deal secondly what should I believe about the gospel what should I believe about the gospel And thirdly how can I believe the gospel why what and how and whenever you're reading down through the book of Acts you see that all of the preachers use the exact same method to draw people into interest around the gospel they do three things first they reference commonality in other words they don't say I'm a Christian y'all pagans you know how they do it they talk about it like it being us and we in fact, Paul regularly, in Acts chapter 13, calls his audience brothers. Peter does the same thing. Stephen does the same thing. They talk in terms of God saving you and me, not God saving me, you because you really need it. right? And the time at which the gospel becomes something that we're offering to somebody else versus something that's been given to us is the time at which we don't understand the gospel, and so the gospel is a common communal message in which I'm simply the messenger. Secondly, we see that they both use history. In other words, they say, look over your shoulder and see where God was at work. Look over your shoulder and see where God was at work. Now, I, God saved me when I was 16 years old. I wasn't that old, and so I didn't have a lot of history. But I'll tell you this, when I looked over my shoulder, I saw God all over the place maybe you understand that feeling, to look over your shoulder and go, man, God's been trying to save me for a long time. God's been drawing me for a long time. God's been talking to me for a long time. And so Paul doesn't say you and me, he says us. And he says, let's look over our shoulder and see where God's been at work. And then thirdly, he establishes a need. Commonality, history, and need. Let me give you some examples. In Acts chapter 2, Pentecost has happened, and Peter has the opportunity to stand up in front of the religious leaders, and he teaches this message There was a man who claimed to be God, and you killed him. You need to repent. That's the message. Acts 7 comes along, and Stephen says, There was a man who claimed to be God, and you killed him, and you need to repent. What's the need? What's the need for the religious leaders? They're guilty right you're murderers you killed somebody in cold blood and you need to you need to repent he establishes a very very clear need you are guilty and you need to be made innocent when Philip talks to the Ethiopian eunuch last time we talked about this in Acts chapter 8 I had a community group leader say did you ever say what a eunuch was because someone asked me in community group and it was really awkward so I'm gonna do it for you right now okay (laughs) a eunuch is somebody who has his male reproductive organs removed from his body. Got it? Exactly. (laughs) They understand. Yeah. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch was probably somebody who did that voluntarily, and so what he does is he says, King, I love you so much, and kingdom, I serve you so greatly that I remove any opportunity for a family tree or legacy beyond my life. Daniel in the book of Daniel was an involuntary eunuch this is where you go oh man yeah right what's the point the point is you will serve the king whether you like it or not and there is nothing else for you the eunuch who is from Ethiopia comes to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple and when he gets to the temple what happens to him He said, you can't come in here. Eunuchs weren't allowed to come in. And so on the way back, he's reading through the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, and he comes to the spot where God says that he is going to make a name and a family for the eunuch. And he is going to give him a name that lasts for all eternity. And right about that point, Philip comes running up beside him. Hey, man, you know what you're talking about? You know what you're reading about? And he's gone back to Isaiah 53, and he's read this description of Jesus, and he's saying, who is this guy? Now what's his need? What's the Ethiopian eunuch's need? Legacy, purpose, family, right? And he's going, who's this guy? Who's this guy that can give this to me? And Philip comes and he introduces him to Jesus. Peter runs into Cornelius. Cornelius is a very religious, very moral, very good man who's seeking. I've gone to church my whole life. I've done all the right things I've I've said all the right things I've read all the right things but there's still something missing anyone have that story yeah there's still something missing and Peter shows up and what does he do he says you know what you need you need redemption that can't come through effort you need you need transcendence you need something done for you that religion and moralism and effort and discipline can't do let me introduce you to Jesus his need was something greater than his effort could provide him. You go into John chapter 3. A guy by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Nicodemus is a religious leader. And Nicodemus says, hey man, like we get that you're from God, but you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and I don't even know what to ask you. And Jesus starts talking to him about, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, you, I, you want me to crawl back into my mom? And Jesus is like, for crying out loud, no, right? Yeah. <laughs> What, 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 is, what does Nicodemus need? He needs new life. He needs new birth. He needs life that, that, that is greater than the life that he's living now. And Jesus says, I, I can show you how to get that. His need is, is, is to be made new, to be made whole. In John chapter 4, Jesus runs into a woman at the well. And this woman at the well enters into conversation with him and what Jesus tells her is that she's been married five times and the dude that she's with right now is not her husband. He's the sixth guy and he starts saying to her, you're thirsty, aren't you? You're thirsty and I have water for you that you can't get anywhere else. What what does that woman need? She needs fulfillment. She needs to have her thirst quenched, as it were. And Jesus says, I know what your need is I know what your need is you look at John chapter 8 and a woman is thrown in front of Jesus caught in adultery most theologians will tell you that she was caught in the very act and so she's thrown in front of Jesus into the dirt maybe she caught a sheet on the way out the religious leaders have their arms cocked back ready to stone her and most commentaries will tell you that Jesus stepped in between them and her which is a beautiful picture and he kneels down into the dirt, and he begins to write some things. And if you're familiar with the story, he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Rocks drop one after the other. Jesus turns to the woman and says, who is here to condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And what, what, what did she need? She was guilty, and she needed forgiveness. She needed redemption. She needed someone to stand up for her. In Luke chapter 19 a guy by the name of Zacchaeus Zacchaeus is a tax collector he's a traitor people hate him think of the IRS right people hate him Jesus is coming into the town the whole city gathers the roads are clogged up Zacchaeus is a if you learned it in Sunday school is a wee little man and a wee little man was he so he climbs up into a sycamore tree and Jesus looks up I'm not joking that's legit all right <laughs> Jesus looks up and he says Zac I'm coming to your house today, man. Now we look at that and we go, oh, that's cool. Jesus is going to go have coffee with him. That's not what he was saying. To have a meal with somebody was to initiate relationship. And so Zacchaeus is a social outcast. He has no friends. He has no family. And Jesus says, I'll be your friend. Establishment of need is necessary when communicating. Why should I believe this? Well, what do you need? I want you to think about this. If you're in here today and God has saved you, what was the thing that you were thinking about that you needed at the time that God saved you? What was the thing that, that was that transcendent desire for you, that thing that, that was so necessary to you? God saved me on October 18th, 1994. And at that time, uh, I came out of a single-parent home, And I was having a hard time thinking about what my family legacy was going to be. I didn't really understand how I was going to be able to be a good husband or a good daddy to have uh, anything of significance come because I hadn't seen that. I had gone to church all my life and I was finding it a little stale. And I knew that I was guilty, I knew that I was a sinner. And I didn't have any way of knowing how to make any of those things any better. Those were transcendent needs in my life. Those were significant, why should I listen to you? Well, because I need, a, I need a dad. Well, because I want my family tree to be different. Well, because I see that religion isn't working. Well, because I'm guilty and I don't know how to make myself clean. That's my story. What's yours? What's yours? Where was God at work in your life as you look over your shoulder that you come to that point where you on your knees before God said I don't have answers I'm listening Now if you're communicating the gospel to somebody getting to that why question is profoundly important because we live in a day where everything is equal right We live in a day with so many messages, with so many stories. So why should I listen to this God, to this gospel, and to you tell me? What do you need? What do you desire? What's the thing that's fundamental? And at 16 years old, October 18th, 1994, I was very clear on what I needed, but I had no way to get it. I had no way to get it. So then secondly, what, what? Should I believe about the gospel? What should I believe about the gospel? The Israel Israelite leaders, the the Jewish leaders, when we established that they were guilty, that they were guilty of killing Jesus, uh, the thing that they needed to believe is that they had to have somebody else offer them forgiveness. Like when you kill somebody, there's no way to make that right, really, right? you know what I mean. Like you can't, you can't, uh, you know, say enough Hail Marys or up down. You can't. There's nothing to do. You're guilty. Somebody has to do something for you. Somebody has to say it's okay. I forgive you. Uh, you're innocent. You can't do it in and of yourself. The Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, I told you what that is. Like there's no reverse. No surgery to reverse that. Right. That, that guy did not have a way to make legacy. He didn't have a way to, to create a family tree. He didn't have a way to have eternal life, life and significance beyond his physical life. He needed someone to give it to him. Cornelius had tried all of the religious means, right? I mean, Cornelius is like my daughter at the end of the gathering. He's taken communion over and over and over and over again, right? Like he's reading through his Bible every year. He gives. He's discipling people. He shows up when the buildings are over and he's still seeking. Why? Because he can't, he can't find it on his own. He has, he has to have somebody pointed out to him. He has to have somebody help him understand religion doesn't provide it. Nicodemus goes, look man, I don't even know what to ask you. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know where to start. You're telling me to crawl back up into the womb of my mama? That's freaking me out. Like, I... I need someone to lead me. I need somebody to teach me. I don't, I don't have a way to do this. The woman at the well had been married five times. Listen, if you're not a movie star and you've been married five times, you got issues. All right? She's been married five times and she was on her sixth guy. This is a woman who is saying, I don't know what I'm doing. This isn't working the next one the next one will be the one right she needs someone to come along and say once and for all once and for all you can have fulfillment the woman caught in adultery what she has to have somebody stand in the middle for her she, she I mean what if she stands up and she says well actually <clears throat> I've, I've uh, I got an opening statement here <laughs> come on she's guilty And somebody has to stand up for her. Somebody has to stand in the gap for her. Somebody has to forgive her. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a mess, right? Nobody wants to hang out with Zacchaeus. Nobody wants relationship with Zacchaeus. Everyone hates Zacchaeus. He needs somebody to invite themselves over. All of these instances are integral to our understanding of the gospel. And I'll say it to you the way that my pastor used to say it before you can receive the gospel, you have to come to the end of yourself. Before I can receive, I have to empty my hands. That woman had to say, there isn't going to be a seventh guy. Cornelius had to say, religion doesn't work. Nicodemus had to say, I don't know, will you teach me? The Ethiopian eunuch had to say, somebody bigger than me has to provide something transcendent to me everybody needs to understand that the gospel means I don't have anywhere else to go I don't have any place else to turn now if you look over your shoulder and you're a follower of Jesus maybe you can remember the questions that you were asking and if you're like me maybe you can remember when you couldn't come up with good answers Now, I'm 16, and so I didn't have quite the baggage that maybe, maybe you have or had or whatever. But I vividly remember saying to God, I don't know how to do the things that are the most important to me. When you grow up in a pastor's house and your folks get divorced and you don't have a good relationship with your dad, the prospect of being a good husband and daddy is a little daunting. And it's religion's already ruined, right? And I'm, and I'm saying, man, the thing that I want is not to continue this. The thing that I want is not to do this, not be a part of this. And I have no idea how to do that. I'm a sinner. I get that I'm a sinner. I've told you the story that the weekend that God saved me, I had skipped out on a church conference told my mom I was going to the church conference so I could go hang out with my girlfriend. And my buddy, who was more messed up than me, ratted me out, all right? And on that weekend, God used me getting caught and being guilty to show me that not only are you guilty this weekend, you're guilty all the time. And I remember going up to my room and going, all right, all right, I get it, I'm guilty. What do I need to do? Silence. You tell me, what do you need to do, Tim? I don't know. I don't know what to do. I've gone to church my whole life. I've heard hundreds of messages and I still don't know what to do with my guilt. I still don't know what to do with legacy. I still don't know what to do with transcendent purpose. What was God doing? He was emptying my pockets. And for lots of us, that process of God emptying our pockets, I want you to please listen to me. Because our world is so condemnation averse, the one thing you can't do to people is condemn them, right? Don't talk bad about me, man. You can't be condemning to me. I won't stand for that. Here's the thing that process is God emptying your pockets. So when people say, Man, I feel condemned, I say, Man, I'm sorry if there's anything that I said to do that to you, but I'm so glad to hear that. Why? Because you're so close. God's emptying your pockets. I don't have answers. I feel condemned. Good. Because the idea that you can work yourself out of condemnation, please listen to me, and I'm saying this with all the love in the world, will send you straight to hell. Part of the gospel is, I don't have answers. I've been with five dudes, I'm on six, he's already getting on my nerves. Right? They caught me in the act. I'm a eunuch, I don't have anywhere to go. I'm a religious leader, I don't even know the questions to ask. I'm up in a tree, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Right? Right? <laughs> Coming to the end of myself. Why should I believe and what should I believe? That my pockets are empty. That my pockets are empty. Now it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing when God leads us to the place of need. It's a beautiful thing when God leads us to the place to say, you have needs you can't fulfill, right? Yeah. Yeah. The wonderful thing about the Gospels and about the presentations of the Gospel in Acts is that they never lay out a theological argument, ever. They just introduce you to a person. <laughs> they, 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 they say, these, these are your, your questions and your transcendent issues. These are the things that you can't do for yourself. Let me introduce you to Jesus. And when they introduce people to Jesus, they do it in in, in an almost absurdly elementary level. They do this. Jesus was a guy who claimed to be God, was killed on a cross, and rose again. That's it. There is no apologetic. There is no sociological implication. There is no eschatological, uh, abstract, theological. Here's this guy. And the emphasis of the story is always on the resurrection. It's always on there was a guy who beat death. There was a guy who went into the ring with death, and when he walked out, death was on its back. That's always the story. And let me tell you why this is important, okay? Are you still with me? Why should I believe? Because I have these questions and these desires And I've got no way to really answer them. I'm introduced to this guy who rose from the dead. And so let's take the religious leaders. This guy who rose from the dead, you're guilty, and the one that you killed rose from the dead and wants to make you innocent. Hmm. That's an interesting idea, right? The Ethiopian eunuch, I need something that can transcend my life and my death. Here's a guy who claimed to be God, was murdered, and then rose again, and he wants to give you life on the other side of death that is eternal and significant and transcendent. You run into Cornelius, and Cornelius says, these things that I'm doing seem to bump up against man-made artifacts that have to be temporary. Here's a guy named Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father, having done everything that needs to be done and offering you work that you can't do so that you can take a rest. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. I don't even know what that means. It means that you need to have a life that is given to you because somebody else beat death. Yeah. That woman at the well, I don't know how to find fulfillment. Probably the guy you should start with is the guy who raises from the dead. <laughs> right? That lady who needs forgiveness. I don't know how to, I don't know how to get forgiveness. I don't know how to earn forgiveness. Jesus defeats death, which means that he defeats sin because the wages of sin are death. And we want to introduce you to this guy who didn't just defeat your sin, but defeated all all sin, and wants to look at you and say, neither do I condemn you. You look at Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says, I just want friends. And I just want a family. And I just want connection. And Jesus says, in my blood, I've formed a new family of brothers and sisters, of which God is the Father. We start with Jesus, and we start with his work, and we say... I'm coming to you with empty pockets and lots of questions. And the gospel is well, let's start with the guy who rose from the dead. Let's start with the guy who rose from the dead and let's bring our questions to him. And so at 16 years old, I come to him and I vividly remember I walk up to my bedroom. My mom says, do you want me to come up with you? And I say, no. And I go up, and I lay out in front of him my guilt. I lay out in front of him religion. I lay out in front of him my hopes for legacy. At that point, they're hopes, because you're 16, right? And I say, I don't. And I empty my pockets before him. And I say, I don't have answers, and I don't know how to get to these places and I don't know how to do these things, but if you are who you say that you are and if you've done what you say that you've done, I think that you can and I think that you know how. Nothing cuter than that, nothing more profound than that. The answer to how do I commit to the gospel is simply that I turn, I turn from trying to answer the questions myself And trying to earn my way to proper standing and I trust that he knows the answers and that he did the work I turn and I trust and 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 my life my life on October 18th 1994 didn't get perfect didn't get cleaned up right didn't get moral didn't get religious but from that day on, the regular and right activity of my life was to work off the premise that I didn't know how, but I know who does, and that I'm guilty. But in Him, I'm—I'm I'm not just not guilty. I'm as though I ne- have never sinned. And I want you to—I want you to think with me to the to the time where you sat down, as it were, in your life and looked over your shoulder and realized that God had always been there, realized that God had always been speaking, realized that God had always been at work, and that these questions that you had been asking in every direction possible, you had not found suitable answers for. And you began to come to the despairing belief that you weren't going to find answers for them until the Holy Spirit said, I'd like to introduce you to someone. His name is Jesus. He was a guy who lived, claimed to be God, got murdered, but now he's alive. And you don't come to God with all the answers. You come to God with empty pockets and lots of questions. And You say, God, what I am and who I am and where I'm going is yours. I'm going to trust you for the rest of my life with wherever you take me. And that makes you a Christian. I come to God with empty pockets, with lots of questions, with lots of doubts, and I say, God, I'm entirely yours. I'm turning from other things that I've believed and trusted, and I'm putting all of my eggs in your basket, all of my chips on your square. Because if you are who you say you are, Nothing will ever be the same. Today, I want you to just spend some time, just you and God, before we take communion, before we pray together, before we sing together, and I just want you to remember what God has done. I want you to remember how God saved you. I want you to remember how you've come to God with empty pockets and found them to be full (laughs) because of Jesus. I want you to remember that systematically and over time God began to show himself trustworthy I want you to remember the times where you've thought this might actually be true he might actually be good he might actually be powerful he might actually be present and I just want you to spend some time with God the point of the gospel is to bring us into awareness that we come to God with nothing, that he gives us everything in introducing us to Jesus. And Christians are simply people who turn to him and trust and say, so I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to say, God, bring thoughts to my mind, bring remembrances to my mind, and then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to do the only right thing to do when that happens. Praise. Praise. So, Ben, why don't you come up? We'll give you a few minutes. You talk to God, and then I'll pray for us. God, as we spend more time uh, hearing from you, God, I pray that you'll bring remembrances and thoughts to our mind of where we were before you saved us, what we were pursuing, the questions we were asking, and how we were trying to answer them. Pray, God, that you'll bring thoughts to our mind of the gods that we tried to serve that failed us, that betrayed us, that wounded us. That you'll give us a very vivid remembrance of, as it was for the people of Israel, of what Egypt was really like to be in bondage. And then, God, in this time, would you give us supernatural insight into. That day, or that time or that season where in a very real way you turn the lights on. In a very real way you began to answer our questions, meet our needs, fulfill the desires of our heart. Bring us to the end of ourselves, empty our pockets, inviting us to turn and to trust. God, that's the story of many of us and God, since that day we've we failed you. Since that day we've Wandered since that day we've betrayed you. Yeah, God, you have always been trustworthy. You have always been faithful. You have always been present. You have always done what you said you would do, and always been who you said that you are. So for those of us who you have saved, God, would you encourage our hearts, comfort our hearts, and bless our hearts? And God, can I can I ask you? I know that there are people in this room today that. They don't know who you are. They, they, they haven't heard from you and they're, they're pursuing other things and they're listening to other sources and their pockets are not yet empty. By your grace, would you graciously, wonderfully, softly, draw them. Draw them into who you are. Draw them into what is true and right and present and available. Just save them. Magnificent grace. Would you change their story, change their future, change their destiny for your glory and for their incredible joy? How would you do that today? Plant seeds, save people, resurrect the dead. Would you receive our praise as we give it to you in these next few minutes? We love you. We love you because you loved us first thank you for that in the name of Jesus let's stand take my heart take my